Welcome to another episode of IBSC Exploring Boys Education, a regular podcast in which we engage with the ideas that are shaping the landscape of boys education. I'm Bruce Collins, IBSC Director of Member Engagement, and it's a real privilege to be your host. This episode is the first of our Talking Heads features. In each of these conversations, we will connect with heads of two boys' schools in various parts of the world and explore what makes the education of boys such a rewarding and exciting vocation. We'll try and unpack the challenges faced by teachers of boys and draw on the vast experience of the heads in our network. We'll also try and understand what thoughts and ideas are shaping our collective understanding of boys' education. In this first Talking Heads feature, we are privileged to be able to learn from Anthony McAuliffe, the head of Brisbane Grammar School in Australia, and Shane Kidwell, the head of St. Albans College in Pretoria, South Africa. Before we do so, however, I'd like to highlight the exciting news that registration for the 2020 IBSC Annual Conference is now open. Join more than 600 colleagues from around the globe at Viaro Global School in Barcelona, Spain from July 8th to 11th, 2020. Together we'll explore the theme Connecting the Dots, Boys, Communities and the Future. Head to our website www.theibsc.org for more information and to register. Remember to sign up early to take advantage of the early bird registration rate. Lastly, on the IBSC Annual Conference, if you would like to submit a workshop proposal, the last date to do so is December 13th, 2019. We really hope we'll see you in Barcelona. But now, back to our Talking Heads feature with Anthony McAuliffe and Shane Kidwell. I was able to kickstart the conversation with Anthony and Shane by speaking about what makes both of their schools so special. Shane starts off by talking about the primacy of relationship in boys' schools. The important thing for me is that it's based on strong relationships. So I think the sort of fundamental part of the, uh, um, the DNA at St. Albans is that relationships are key between boys uh, and, and staff, between staff and parents, um, between parents and management of the school. So I think... And there's a sense of um, earthiness about the place that allows the, uh, those relationships to be particularly authentic. Anthony highlights the strong learning culture that has developed over the years at Brisbane Grammar School. Um, Brisbane Grammar School has a very strong learning culture. Um, people immediately assume I'm talking just about academic learning, but there's a very strong emphasis in this school around social learning around respectful behaviour, learning that takes place on the cricket pitch or in the concert hall. So when we refer to learning, which is one of our school values, it's an all-encompassing um, concept. And um, we start from a very young age with the boys, helping them understand that learning will take place in all contexts. It is clear from speaking to both Anthony and Shane that being a thinking and learning organisation is important to both schools. Shane echoes Anthony's thoughts as he reflects on learning at St Albans. It was interesting, just lastly on this, is we've got a couple of new staff members on our executive. They all agreed that there seemed to be a a calmness um, in this working environment, 
that doesn't reflect a sort of frenetic uh, continual doing, but that there's deep stuff happening here, but there's a sense of 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 being, a sense of you're able to breathe and enjoy it and and uh, make it your own. And I think you know all those things. I think define a real thinking and learning organization. As I connected with Anthony and Shane, I was struck by how both of them celebrated the all-round education of boys. It's clearly something both schools take seriously. I asked each of them to share their reflections on what this means to them. The school has, for 150 years, committed itself to a broad liberal education. So while 60% of our boys usually end up in STEM-based tertiary courses, we still, along, along their journey, along through those formative years, make sure that they're doing languages, doing the arts, um, that there's humanities subjects which are, which are compulsory. That sort of, that broadness of their understanding and their ability to perceive the world as it was, as it is now, and what it might look like in the future, it, it underpins everything we do in a teaching and learning sense. Shane and his team seem to have a similar point of departure that it's really important to focus on the future of the boys that they teach. If one looked back, you know, I went to a boys' school myself, I think, and you looked at sort of the traditional boys' education and what a well-rounded education meant, I think a headmaster would have said to you, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of everything that a school does, you know, academics and art, drama and music, the arts... Uh, and sport but I think you know now it has to be so much more than that I think schools need to be judged not on uh, their boys at 14 you know when they arrive here or at 18 when they leave here I think schools need to be judged about how boys enter society and what they do and uh, how they affect um, what goes on in society and whether they can actually you know, critically think about what are the, the key things in society that are not great and how are they making it a better place. Anthony also speaks about the importance of critical thought in boys' education. It's interesting, our major goals, we're very strong around developing attitudes, skills and a base of knowledge for critical intelligence and critical literacy. Um, the emphasis upon imaginative and creative powers, whether it be through subjects like design or you know, in maths when you're problem solving uh, or in art or in, in, in any subject where you feel as if you have the opportunity to not only demonstrate talents but also pursue interests. It's clear from both Anthony and Shane that learning goes so much deeper than what simply happens in the classroom on a daily basis. An all-round education, I think, involves all of this. It involves making sure that, you know, relationships are key, um, that, uh, that boys realise that life is, more, not, is far greater than just the five years that they have at, at school, and it's far greater than, you know, just playing the guitar or playing in the first team rugby or, you know, um, getting eight A's. You know, I think those things obviously matter and you want boys to do the best they possibly can. But I think they need to be able to find their element somehow. 
And I think this is something certainly I regret that I didn't find my element earlier in my life. And I suppose it's, it's my life's mission to make sure that boys figure that out, you know, in their journey here at school. It is clear from speaking to both heads that this element that Shane speaks of has a lot to do with boys going beyond themselves. It has to do with them serving and making a difference in the world. I really, we, we really have an interesting view about the capacity and enthusiasm for independence of learning. So there's a lot of work around self-regulatory behaviour, uh, particularly with the younger boys, so they're demonstrating those behaviours as they get older. Huge amount of work, uh, and I know it's, uh, it's a favourite of IBSC, around character education and what that looks like for boys in a modern world um, at Brisbane Grammar School in the 21st century. And then a very strong emphasis upon serving others. So we have a theme here that um, when they're younger, it's about leading self. But as they move into the senior school, it's very much about leading, um, leading others and serving others because that notion of altruism then goes to make them better citizens. So I think an all-round education, you know, takes into account what, you know, the 21st century is, is, is throwing at us and the Fourth Industrial Revolution and those skills that the World Economic Forum are talking about. I mean, those have to be taken into account. And, um, you know, I think, but, but I mean, I suppose if one had to put it in a nutshell and how are we going to measure this, I think for me, it's are our boys, are our sons, um, you know, making a difference in society. Brisbane Grammar School is a microcosm of our society and we continue to evolve with it and helping our boys to, to understand their intellectual, physical and emotional well-being so that they can then become sort of confident men of character who contribute to their communities and their families. That's a really important message for us and I suspect it's a, an important message for most schools. Boys schools worldwide work really hard to create affirming and welcoming environments for their students. Spaces where each individual can shine and discover their own unique contribution to the world. I asked Shane and Anthony to share their school's journeys in this regard. We, we spend an enormous amount of time auditing the landscape in this school, the campus, and all of our satellite campuses as well. Um, when I think of SAFE, I think about it in a number of terms. There's obviously an infrastructure implication. Um, there are systems in the background. There's also making certain that the people who are administering pro in programs have the right induction and understand their roles and responsibilities. It's educating the parents about the, the best way to inform people or to seek clarification. Uh, and then there's the boys. Um, the boys understanding that within this particular context, if something doesn't look right, you should tell someone. Um, you know, there's been a, a huge amount of emphasis in this place in the last 15 years in terms of child protection. Um, and so having all the systems and the policies in place are one thing, but being able to enact those systems and policies and make certain that the boys have a voice, um, have agency, and also have advocacy within the school is an absolutely crucial part of them knowing that they can, they can traverse their journey through the school and along the way there may be um, the odd bump or the odd issue that they have people to talk to. You know, I think if boys don't feel safe, 
um, physically, obviously, but also emotionally and socially, and don't feel like they're being seen for who they are, rather than you know uh, what somebody else feels they could become. And we gently take them on a journey. I think you know boys need to feel like uh, I can become a better person, a better version of myself, right here. You know, there are so many complex layers to making a school environment safe. Um, you know, everything from you know, your perimeter fencing right back to the way your staff talk to kids in a classroom um, enables that safe learning environment. Because I think one of the things we try and do is encourage the kids to experiment and fail um, because, as we know, that's an important component of any learning journey. As many schools worldwide have been doing, St Albans College have been working really hard on their journey toward transformation and diversity and being an inclusive space for all. I asked Shane to reflect a little bit on how that journey has created safe spaces for boys and staff. Yeah, I've learned, I think, most of all, never take anything for granted. You know, never assume that... um, because you've done a lot of work in this area that you've even taken a step. Mm. You know, I think every individual, and I mean, there are many who step onto this campus every day, um, every individual is walking their own journey, you know, and sometimes in the, in the busyness of, a, of an environment like this, you, you can forget, and, and the focus of an academic environment, you can forget that there's a human being behind the facade there, you know, whether it be a boy or whether it be a parent or whether it be, you know, another staff member. So, you know, I think the most important thing that I've learned is, you know, and it sounds, I suppose, uh, not trivial, but it sounds simple. But, you know, I think we have to learn to create an environment where, you know, be kind always, Hmm. you know, no matter what has happened and try and then start to unravel the stories so I think the the, fun, the the foundation of creating this is, I suppose, for senior leaders in the organization to allow themselves to be vulnerable enough so that others see that vulnerability and understand that it's not a bad thing to be vulnerable. And I think, you know, one's got to model this. So our executive have to model this. And if, and, and, and in my opinion, I think they are. And as we continue to do it, I think more people are feeling courageous enough to put themselves in vulnerable spaces. And it's, you know, it, 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 it's going to catch a momentum of its own, in a sense. We have to assume, certainly as leaders in an organization, that there's lots that's hidden from us. And it's incumbent on us to uncover it, in a sense. Not in a, in a, in a way that, that places people in unsafe spaces, but, but where we create an environment where they feel like they can share this stuff openly. And I think, you know, I've been absolutely blown away in some staff meetings at the honesty of, of, of people when it comes to diversity, whether it's gender diversity, whether it's race diversity or, or whatever it is. Um, a number of our staff members have, uh, have, have plucked up the courage now to be able to say things that could be interpreted as quite controversial. And the staff are in a space where I think they've dealt with that gently. And some have agreed and some have disagreed, but there's been robust conversation 
and and sort of it, it it's indicative of a real thinking and learning organization where we've all got to understand that we've we've got our own prejudices and we've got our own stereotypical thoughts and you know that sometimes we need to challenge ourselves and and I think that's happening you know I mean we've had a couple of really powerful assemblies where boys have uh, have allowed themselves to be vulnerable enough to to say in front of 600 of their peers that you know some of the things that that are happening uh, um, on the ground uh, certainly don't make them feel like they belong here and um, you know that that has made the collective feel like well we've got to do something about that this guy is one of us he wears the same badge he he's part of us but if he doesn't feel like he's part of us well then, what is it that's happening, and what are, what is it that we're doing or not doing, that's not allowing him to feel like he's got a voice, and um, and I think ultimately, you know, that's what it's about. When when we've all got voices, but if we don't feel um, brave enough or courageous enough to be able to use them, uh, and and share our opinion, no matter how contentious it might be, I think um, you know we, we we're failing. Next, I entered into a really fascinating conversation with both heads about the challenges that face boys' schools in the current climate. Anthony and Shane both assert that boys' schools have got work to do around boys' definition of masculinity and how they respond to the stereotypes that society places on them. Um, I, I think uh, contemporary schools or progressive schools, really um, boys' schools in particular, should be looking at concepts, healthy concepts of masculinity and relationships. Um, this is regular dialogue that I have with my counterpart next door, our, our sister school, because we're trying to learn from them um, about the sort of attitudes and values and uh, perceptions that the girls might have of our boys, uh, and then using that information to help our boys on their social journey I do think there are some unique uh, challenges for for men in, in in the modern world, and I think you know that sort of stereotypical we've just been talking about that stereotype of a man being strong and hard and you know courageous and and, and I think men have to be you know strong and courageous, um, but at the same time I I do think that men have to be have to be vulnerable, have to be, uh, or have to learn uh, to understand themselves and, and what makes them tick. In response to some of these issues, Brisbane Grammar School has a wonderful program with their sister school, which Anthony tells us more about. One of the things we've set up recently is a, a discussion group between a year 11 and year 12 boys with the girls next door around responding respectfully to Me Too and Time's Up movements. Because what I've noticed in the boys is that they are respectful, but they don't know how to respond. And so what you're getting is a generation who are silent. So they know it's wrong to make impertinent comments and they realise they're that they're the ambassadors of their schools. They don't want to embarrass themselves either. So the default position has become silence. And I don't think that's a healthy space for boys or girls. Mm. And so helping them to construct the language where they can have a respectful dialogue 
with, um, with the girls, um, I think will be better for our society in the long run. Anthony also highlights the importance that boys' schools play in rewriting this narrative. I think debunking the myth that boys' schools are sort of those incubators for male privilege and misogyny, but in an educational context, you've got to continue to explain to boys that those sorts of behaviours are just not acceptable. Um, you've got to be forever vigilant. I think trying to put some consistent language around that for the boys and their parents. Um, and um, I, think our, I think our staff in this school, I, I can speak quite confidently, have done a huge amount of work around how language influences behaviour. Both heads also highlight the plight of teenagers these days, particularly teenage boys, and their struggle with stress, anxiety and wellness. Uh, anxiety and, and stress and wellness in the modern world is, is, I think, getting worse and worse. I think we have to um, ensure that our boys understand what balance is, work-life balance, that they, that they don't poo-poo happiness. Because I think, you know, there has been a time in boys' schools where, where, where I've even heard some leaders say, you know, we, we overplay happiness. Boys have just got to get on with it. And, and I think I agree. I mean, we have to get on with it. Life is tough and uh, grit is important and resilience is key. But um, I do think that we have to navigate or allow boys to navigate into a space which will allow them to find their element, that place you know, where talent and where you've got, a, you've got some talent, but now you've got to really work hard at it, and, and passion meet, you know. And I think we mustn't underplay that. So in my opinion, you know, we don't want um, boys, um, you know, feeling overly anxious about their role in society. And somehow we've got to help them to navigate that. For us, we're moving into a new system of external exams. And again, talking with all the year 11s throughout the course of the year, that seems to be a recurring theme, that there is heightened level of tension around being able to perform in that external exam space. Uh, I have every confidence that they will do well, but it behoves me and my staff to manage that expectation and also manage their parents' expectation because invariably they're, you know, these are the domestic gossip conversations that are happening at home and then the boys bring that level of anxiety to school. Because of pressure in society, university places are difficult to get. Parents, society's placing pressure on boys. Parents are placing pressure on boys. I think we have to make sure that boys keep a balance, a healthy balance, you know, for their physical beings, for their spiritual beings, for their for their emotional beings. Um, and and I think our timetables and our rhythms at schools need to reflect that. In a world where things often seem hopeless. Shane challenges us as teachers of boys to remain hopeful and to instill this hopefulness in the boys we teach. The other big um, challenge that, in in my opinion, I mean, I've just recently read a book uh, called Factfulness um, by uh, um, Hans Rosling. He um, talks about... uh, the fact that um, there's this there's this concept called declinism, where we think you know everything is just getting the world is getting worse, and uh, I think South Africans particularly have a healthy dose of declinism. You know we think that our country is completely falling apart, 
And what Rosling encourages is for us to seek out the facts and to stop getting influenced by the noise of social media, of you know, uh, the traditional media, of the politicians, and the push and pull of, of, of the world at large. So I think you know, one of the challenges is that, and particularly I've, I've challenged our staff this term with this, is that I believe our staff need to model this optimism. Um, and that if you're not feeling or you're not in that zone, that you need to become a little bit more uh, um, intentional about finding out what the facts are. So when boys are talking about, you know, things that are going around on social media uh, that are negative and that, you know, seem to get you to think that the world is falling apart, well, take a moment, I think, in your class and make sure that boys, that, that you all research what the facts are and then discuss it. In a similar vein, Anthony discusses the future prospects of the boys who leave our schools. Um, there are changing requirements around the labour force. So, interesting, yesterday I was talking to boys about um, what they perceive the future to look like. And a lot of commentary around, we still like traditional careers, but we can see that those careers are going to branch off into occupations that we don't yet know of. And... I, and um, their feedback to me was they really like listening to young old boys who have taken non-linear paths and how they've managed to skip from one profession to another. So there's a lot of dialogue going on amongst the boys and I think there's opportunities for boys' schools to capture that and, um, and turn it into a point of difference for their schools. In speaking to both Shane and Anthony, I was struck by how both heads are passionate and intentional about developing the teams they lead. I asked both of them to share some advice they would give to teachers of boys, especially those who are new to boys' schools. Firstly, I mean, there's no doubt in my opinion, I mean, boys learn teachers. You know, so relationship is key. I mean... You're going to get nowhere until you've actually boys trust you and they see that you're human and and that you are prepared to be vulnerable and you are prepared to say sorry when you've made a mistake. Um, you you need to give boys a sense that they can build a relationship with you. The second thing is I think that accountability is key and and critical. And I think in the modern age it's sometimes. We, as, as teachers in boys' schools, we, we're perhaps a little scared to create the accountability and the structure that we know is, is, is important for them um, to thrive. Because sometimes that's painful, you know, holding people accountable and speaking truth and, and uh, you know, using candor is, is, is sometimes not, not easy. But I think boys need to know where they stand with you. You need to call them out when, you know, when they've stepped over some boundaries. And you need to hold them accountable, whether it's homework not done or whether it's you know, the way they're talking to somebody uh, or whatever, you know, stepping out of line. And then perhaps thirdly, boys need to get a sense that you understand their uniqueness, each of them, that, that you don't stereotype them and place them in groups, whatever that group might be. I think boys want to know that they are, are seen. You know, if, if, if teachers understand and begin to understand the dreams, um, the anxieties, the stresses, uh, um, the hopes and aspirations of boys, uh, 
uh, I think you know you, you you will certainly be able to take it to the next level. Anthony's advice, like Shane's, is insightful. Through our induction process, we do talk about teaching at a boys' school, and I must admit the um, the work being done by IBSC around new to boys' school is fantastic. Um, it's for us. We often talk about boys having um, a strong sense of bravado, um, and quite often it's misdirected, and usually it is it is a fabrication and beneath that bravado is just another vulnerable child and helping you uh, people who are new to boys schools understand that um, never shame a boy in front of his peers is my number one piece of advice uh, if you're not happy with the behavior or you're not happy with the response then a quiet conversation at the end of the lesson where you assertively um, remind the boy of what the expectations are will invariably lead to a better outcome. Um, the naming and shaming in front of his peers uh, will lead to, you know, I think, more difficult interactions between the staff members and the students. Uh, and I think one of the things that works really well in this school is that the boys themselves are very good at moderating the behaviour. And if they think the teacher is well versed, in what they're doing uh, is well prepared, then invariably the other boys in the class will turn around and say, hey, that's not the right behaviour. So my advice to a new teacher would be, make sure you're well prepared, make sure you're not trying to wing it, because you've got an intelligent audience and they'll see you straight through you. As an avid reader, I love hearing what other people are reading and what books have challenged their ways of thinking. I asked Shane and Anthony to share some of the books that have challenged the way they see their role as head of a boys' school. Okay, I thought about this one because I'm a voracious reader. So um, I've actually selected one which is not necessarily connected to education. But the more I thought about it, the more it had an implication for our school. So I read a book called um, The Setup to Fail Syndrome. And it's sort of overcoming the under, it's overcoming that sort of undertow of expectations. And it's by two gentlemen called um, Jean Francois Manzoni and Jean Louis Barso. Um, earlier this year, I did a course at IMD and I heard um, Manzoni speak and he was just enthralling. So it led me to pick up his book um, and have a read of it. And the message for me was that. Poor leaders regularly impede potential. Right, so you, you can imagine I've sort of gone away <laughs> and thought a lot about my own behaviours within this school as its leaders. What are some of the things that I might do unconsciously which actually impede the performance of others? And then I thought even longer about some of our structures and our systems, which have worked well for a very long time, but are they, need, uh, are they in need of refreshing um, in order to enable staff to perform their roles more expertly? And so it's actually generated this really interesting, sometimes robust conversation with the executive team around what works, what probably needs um, augmentation, and what, should really, what, what we should really stop doing. Um, and it, it's... it's it's led to a removal of some blockages 
that have existed historically, not not for any reason. We you know we didn't value them, but they were always there, um, and it's forced the executive team to sort of pull back the layers, um, consult a lot with our staff, and it's generated some really favourable dialogue at all levels of staff. The one that that I keep coming back to is uh, you know Peter Senge's fifth discipline. And I think just as, as you know, somebody who wants to try and lead and create thinking and, and learning environments, I think uh, this, is, this is a book that's, that's changed my thinking uh, fundamentally. And, um, you know, I, I certainly would encourage anybody who, um, who's in education to read it because... I think ultimately, and I mean, we're battling with that at the moment, and I think all, you know, boys' schools throughout the world, I'm sure, are battling with it. But we want, we want boys to really find the joy of learning, you know, and we want them to be lifelong learners. And sometimes boys, you know, only want to do things because uh, it's for marks, you know. And ultimately, we want boys to move past that point. That we want them to get to the, 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 the place where... They want to explore and discover and, and, and I suppose, reignite some of that spark that they had maybe when they were five, six, seven, eight years old, you know, in prep school. And um, I suppose that's what Finding Your Element and that's what uh, um, Kent Robinson talks about in, to, in his book, The Element. So I suppose the two books that have influenced me the most are The Fifth Discipline, and that's the first one. And the second one would be Ken Robinson's The Element. And lots has been said about Ken Robinson. But, you know, I just, uh, I think as we continue to, you know, try and engage in education environments, what worries me the most is that our our systems haven't fundamentally changed in terms of, of learning. And I think we've got to come back to some of the principles that Ken Robinson talks about in, in The Element. You know, it's 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 not just about regurgitating uh, um, knowledge. You know, it's 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 about critically analysing it and critically um, grappling with it, and and ultimately how that knowledge can help us solve some complex societal and environmental problems in the world. Otherwise, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to do that in the future. Finally then, in a last word from both heads, Anthony and Shane share why it is so important for them that their schools are IBSC members. You know, I think, uh, you know, there are a number of reasons, but I think perhaps the, the most important one for me is that I think schools can easily be, you know, we can isolate ourselves. And I think what uh, being part of this group of schools does is it connects us across a number of continents and allows us to engage on a number of levels about best practice, about research that's happening, um, about just developing relationships with educators, you know, who are experiencing uh, different, um, different issues at different times. And I think those connections are critically important uh, for learning. So I think, you know, if we want to be a true learning and thinking organization, I think we have to be connected. And um, we have to make sure that, 
uh, and that's what I like about the IBSC is that we're doing this research. I mean, it's it's research based, so we are looking for the facts. You know, we're not wanting to just willy nilly change things because you know a whole lot of people have said that we should. You know, we we, we want to find out what what it is that counts and uh, what it is that is really going to make an impact, particularly in our case in boys in boys' lives. And I think ultimately, I want to you know we want to as a school be part of a network that believe in innovation and believe in in dreaming um, uh, for what is best in boys' education. And so, yeah, and we contribute to that, and others do, and I think we, we're richer for it. Similar to Shane, Anthony also reflects on the richness of the IBSC community and what that means for teachers. For a long time we've been involved with IBSC, but I think it's been primarily executive staff and some members of staff have particular interest in actual research. I've seen the benefits in other school of engaging a larger proportion of your staff because then they begin to understand that IBSC connects educators worldwide. And the benefits of that are that we're all dealing with similar problems. In, in some parts of the world, those problems are more advanced and therefore the solutions are more advanced. And we can, we, we can piggyback on each other's learnings um, in order to build better and stronger schools for our kids. It, it enables educators to discover best learning practices for boys um, because there's a huge body of research out there, the neuroscience, you know, how the brain functions, how boys learn, how boys are late developers as opposed to girls. Well, what are the answers? How could we fast track that in order to help boys avoid some of those adolescent foibles, those adolescent flaws? And, I, and the other thing I've really enjoyed now being on the IBSC board is that the like-minded schools collaborating on the development of boys' education. For my staff, and I'm really pushing at the moment, as you know, Bruce, to get as many of my staff involved as possible, and my Dean of Teaching Development is very keen to engage our staff, particularly around some of the online um, activities, um, uh, the actual research. But I think most importantly, once they get an opportunity to see the, the plethora of resources that IBSC produces, they'll be able to cherry pick what they think is the best for their own teaching and learning. Now, my, my final point about IBSC it's an association that gives our schools access to global views. Um, and it sort of links to my very first point, whether they be social, educational, financial, you know, even organisational. Um, there are people out there who have the solution because this network brings highly intelligent people together and, um, and very experienced people who can assist us to do things better for the kids in our school. And I think. That's, that's the beauty of IBSC. Such rich insights from both of these heads. Interesting conversations for sure. I certainly have learned so much in connecting with them. We're also grateful to be able to draw from the expertise of seasoned educators and leaders like Shane and Anthony. That's what makes the IBSC community so rich. Both of their school's websites are published in our episode notes. Click on the links to learn more about Brisbane Grammar School and St. Albans College. Thank you, Anthony and Shane. Before I sign off today, 
Remember to check out the IBSC annual conference page on our website. Avoid that post-holiday rush and register yourself and colleagues today. From me, Bruce Collins, nos vemos en Barcelona. See you in Barcelona.